Welcome to Food with Politics, a podcast about sharing the foods we love and the politics affecting our lives. Hey everyone, this is Mac. And this is Tam. Thank you so much for tuning in today. The episode you're about to listen to was originally recorded over a month ago. Here we are now in the country, thankfully, is still reckoning with the ongoing ramification of George Floyd's death by a white Minneapolis police officer. Like many people, we've been deeply affected by what's going on. And more than just performative words and sentiments, we continue to work towards real change in our society and hope you are as well. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you get something from this episode and hope you share it with someone who needs to hear it. We know it's not easy. Please DM us on Instagram or email us at info at foodwithpolitics.com with any concerns, questions, or suggestions. With so much gratitude, this is Mech. And Tam. Thanks. Hey, Mech. How you doing? This has been a long week and just wondering how you and your family are hanging in there. Very heavy week, but you have any light for me? Anything to make it a little yeah. bit more happy? You know, Tam, thanks. It has been a really heavy week, but you know, we'll start this off as we always do. It's funny, we were needed something very comforting and sort of something familiar. So this week I went back to a staple in our family, which is a green lentil soup. Mm. We can use, you know, brown and green lentil. And it's great. It's easy, it's fast. Generally you can make it with stuff in your pantry. My kids like it, my husband likes it, I love it. And it was so good. It actually made it on to the third hour of today's show. So wow. The recipes there, yeah. Again, we needed something familiar and something that can just help us feel warm and fuzzy. And that's always kind of a go-to. But like you said, it's been a heavy one. Uh, yeah. The murder of George Floyd. Yeah. I Well, I mean, not to take away from that, but I think I'm going to have to get that recipe myself from Instagram so I can make it for Scott and I just to create some of that warmth here as well. Because like you said, with the death of George Floyd, it's been pretty heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should. It really is. It's a nice, it's a comforting one. Even in the in the dead of summer, it's a good thing to feel warm inside of it. But yeah, it's it's been heavy. And and again, like I was, I was saying, the murder of George Floyd and all of the pro- protests that have gone on since that. That's since May 25th, and now we're in the middle of June. Uh, yeah. It's brought up a ton of emotions for us both, I know. And I'm just hoping that this is like the awakening of white America. And it seems like it, like judging from what's out there at the protests, it really does seem like awakening of white America like I've never seen before. So how are you doing? How are you and Scott dealing over there? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i on the same accord as you because it's it's just heavy, especially being black in America. It's just, I, I just can't get over the casual nature of the officer that knelt on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I can't get it out of my mind. That part bothers me most of all. And it, it isn't something that's new. It's mm-hmm. not something that mm-hmm. we haven't seen in the past. It's just brought more of this to the forefront because of the technology that we have now. It's just disheartening. It is. And yeah, I understand. You're right. It's a lot of, it's funny because it's not even the technology that supposedly happened with the police reform of them wearing body cams, but it's still just bystanders, right? Right. Taking, uh, Taking photos and videos on their own cameras. So thank goodness for them. To your point about like all of this happening before and like the weight of it and it feels so familiar it kind of brings me back to this point of this great awakening of white America. As protests went on, honestly, I was really shocked to see just how many white folks were out there marching for black life. If I'm being honest, like I, you know, I couldn't help thinking if this pandemic didn't have everyone on lockdown, would the white folks be out there? Right. I mean, people, people are at home stuck, right? They're stuck reading and watching the same news cycle over and over again. 
it's it is it's disheartening to take from you again and the fact that you kind of have to be a soulless human being not to have been outraged by the callousness in which Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds I mean it was insane right I can't I mean I can't stop saying eight minutes and 46 seconds because when you think about how long of a time that was it's just ridiculous and a lot of people have said this before his shades on top of his head just like just so casually on his hands in his pocket yeah his hands in his pocket and the Asian man just standing there just watching this all transpire but I think we're on the same page as each other I was going to say the same thing of do you think so many people would be involved with the protests because I agree everyone is hyper aware because of shelter in place and and so much time on their hands people are more apt to protest because they don't have any excuse like work or etc so we kind of saying the same thing that people are involved because of COVID-19. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's exactly right, Tam. I, it's crazy. Like I was thinking about all the protests and everybody out there and how diverse it is at the moment. And again, particularly with white folks showing up, because I remember in 2014 when Eric Garner was killed, there was a march, it was Black Lives Matter. And I think Black Lives Matter at the time was pretty early on because they were founded after Michael Brown, I think, right, in Ferguson. Eric Garner wasn't too far after that when he was killed. And incidentally, the same three words, I can't breathe, right? That will always live sort of in infamy. It's happening so much. Right. But I remember I was just like, wow, it is just young. It was just black and brown folks out there. And there were very few, if any, white folks. And, you know, at that time, Lulit was in kindergarten or first grade or maybe even second grade. But she went to school very close to where the, where the protest was on the West mm-hmm. Side Highway in Manhattan. And I remember just being so angry and just so annoyed that nobody at the school said anything. It wasn't, it just wasn't a big deal. And I remember walking by, it's a very affluent neighborhood, sort of like the people that lived in these high rises were sort of looking down like as a, it was like a curiosity, you know, people were just looking Mm. out at these people who were protesting. And I just remember it all felt so, I don't know, it felt, it was energized and wonderful, but I was like, where are our white allies even then? You know, where are these people who care so much about, equality and, and these are our liberal folks in New York, where are they? And I remember, I really, I really do remember thinking that. So I think it's a very different time now. And I just remember afterwards in 2016, pretty quickly after Trump was elected and there was the women's march. Right. And, and it was droves and droves and droves of people and predominantly white. There were definitely black, brown in, in the crowd. But I do remember after that, that march, it was very, very a distinct memory again about a lot of the black, brown, and transgender women feeling like they weren't really heard, like that march wasn't right. really for them. Right. So it was it's, funny. I also, it's just like, where were these where were these same women like marching for equality now two years ago when it was Black Lives? So this feels a little bit different. Meg, I mean, you're right. I think we're both on the same page. And I just, I live here in California and I live in a predominantly Filipino neighborhood. And this community actually organized their own Black Lives Matter march. It was a racially diverse young group of people. And it, it's surprising because I didn't know that many Black people actually lived here in Mira Mesa. And to see them stand together on one accord was awesome. I guess what, what hit me most about the whole thing is both Scott and I have experienced bias and microaggression here in this neighborhood. Granted, we could have been extra sensitive because of the times that are, are happening right now. But I mean, that's just how we both felt. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was going to say, like, it probably is. Like, you're probably extra sensitive because that's kind of 
where we're at right now. Like people are coming out with their own stories and stories that you can't imagine them being so public about things just even six months ago, you know, things that are happening in the corporate world, things are happening in their own neighborhoods at schools. So uh, I, you know, I don't think you're probably not being extra sensitive, honestly, it's probably just your, your, your feelings are coming to fruition. But I also think I wanted to say like what you were saying about your neighborhood and them coming together, Filipino neighborhood, that's kind of what it is, right? And I think that you have people that aren't Black that are actively taking place in these marches and starting their own marches in their own neighborhoods and standing united with Black people. It's like they finally get it. And they're finally getting that like, no, actually in America, not everyone is treated equally under the law. And yes, there is a lot of inequality. And yes, (laughs) racism is systematic and it affects and continues to affect Black and brown folks disproportionately. So I think that's a great thing that's happening at the moment. I'm not hopeful, honestly, that this will continue to be the case, that people are going to continue to stand in solidarity. Um, I think particularly with white people, they'll want to go back to being white people and brunching and being (laughs) microaggressive. (laughs) But for now, you know, I think what we can try to impress upon them is that these issues are real. And if you really want an equitable society, do your part. Actively stand up to inequality and actively be anti-racist and call out your people and make them also actively be anti-racist. Exactly, Meg. I I couldn't agree more. We both know that this system is not set up for Black people or people of color to succeed. Black people are at a severe economic disadvantage, and I don't know how that's going to change. I have to say that I'm excited about how many white people and even companies are trying to learn more and be more inclusive when it comes to Black culture. Even in my company, we've had like over 30, they call them courageous, quote unquote, conversations. They're not recorded because they want people to be comfortable with expressing themselves and open about it and say whatever's on their mind or whatever's on their heart. On almost every call, though, white folks have asked for reading materials, et cetera, in order to try and learn and be more supportive. So that's a plus. That's a huge plus. That's amazing. You didn't tell me that before. Yeah, I think that's right. And again, is it because it's a moment in time right now and it's like kind of like, quote unquote, cool to be woke? Or is it genuinely people are feeling like, you know, enough is enough. This isn't cute anymore. Like what Black people have been saying for, for a long time is actually true, which is what I hope. I know that there's been an uptick of people, Americans, who believe that Black people face a lot of discrimination. And Mm -hmm. I think 96% of Americans now believe that Black Americans face racial discrimination. And and then another 62% believe that those same Black people face a lot of discrimination. So that's more than half the population. So I think things are definitely, or appear to be changing. And I think that that's that can only bode well, right? And I'm just hoping right. that, again, this isn't just a moment for now, but that this is a continual movement and, and people continuously want to do the work. And you know, Tam, another thing that I think is incredible is similar to like over half the percentage of, of Americans now say that Black Americans are facing a lot and a great deal of just discrimination. I think even more importantly, or maybe as important, is that 67% of Americans now support Black Lives Matter. Again, which is more than half of Americans that support Black Lives Matter. That's a huge thing. So what do we do with that? Like, what are we going to do? What's our life ingredient? How are we going to make lemonade out of these lemons that we've been given? Well, for one, I think we continue to remind, engage, and let our allies know how, how they need to show up. There are several things right now for them to do their part. For example, find out what your local Black businesses are in your neighborhood and support them. 
because now more than ever, Black-owned businesses need not just Black people to support them, but white folks as well. You can support any of the nonprofits doing active anti-racist work. Everyone knows now Black Lives Matter. There's also Color of Change. You can get on Google and then search for any of the anti-racist organizations that you can support. And then we're going to actually list them on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. There's plenty, plenty of nonprofit organizations that do anti-racist work, also that help support local Black, Hispanic, or lower-income neighborhoods and, and initiatives. So definitely, we'll, we'll put some of those up there on the Instagram. But uh, you know, also, I think it's very important to get involved with local politics and hold your political representatives accountable on issues that definitely affect particularly black and brown lives. Issues over over policing, police brutality, public school funding is a huge one that I don't want to overlook, particularly if you're living in or close to a gentrifying neighborhood, which is happening all over the country. I'm talking to you, liberal whites, who don't send your kids to the local school, but you're, you know, you're part of the big, big issue of gentrification. And yeah, look that up. I think that's all we've got for now. That's it. That's it. That wraps up this episode of Food With Politics. Thank you for joining us this week. Be sure to check out Food With Politics on Instagram for all the recipes you've heard on the show and much more. If you enjoyed the show, spread the love and tell a friend. (music) 